0: How's it going tonight, everybody? We are run the reel featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan, and we are back with another hopefully great review. Wow, hopefully,
1: eh? Still going with that?
0: Yes, again. Continuing off of Star Wars Episode Two, you've guessed it is Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. The Sith are back. Um, Star Wars Episode Three. Was released in two thousand five. It is written and directed by George Lucas. Currently on IMDb, it has a seven point five out of ten and a sixty eight Metascore on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an eighty percent tomato meter and a sixty six percent audience score.
2: Huh. Order 66, tomato meter.
1: <laughs> that seems a little too good to be true.
2: <laughs> Who's pulling the strings at Rotten Tomatoes? Have we looked into these people?
1: Apparently, they're
2: on Rotten Tomato
0: is... 33,683,838 audience user ratings for this movie.
2: Oh my, that's a lot.
1: That is a preposterous number of ratings. Yeah, it's insane compared to the
0: 294 uh, critic reviews.
2: That surprised me that it's that little, yeah. Wow.
0: Ah,
1: democracy.
2: I love democracy.
1: This is how it dies <laughs> with a thunderous clicking. Well, somebody tell us about episode three. Someone give us a rundown of what happens in this movie. I know just a
2: guy to do it. Who's that?
1: I don't want to single anybody out. I don't think that there needs to be a recap of this
2: one. Mm, Me thinks thou will protest too much. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: This movie follows um, after episode two. The Clone Wars begins, as Terry says, and the Clone Wars going on. This follows Anakin. And three years later, he's like married to Padme. Find out they have a kid. Find out somebody's a Sith Lord. Somebody becomes a lot of machinery. Uh, somebody gets burned. You know, you know the gist of it. The classics.
2: It all led up to this. If episode two is called The Clones Begin, this is called The Clone Wars End. <laughs> oh. It begins and then it ends immediately. <laughs> the Empire begins.
1: It is pretty crazy that it ends in this one you know we, we catch the initial battle of it in episode two and then we catch the last couple battles of it in episode three here
2: they just skipped all of it it's crazy
1: which you know growing up as a kid i didn't realize that original like it, it never really dawned on me that the 2d clone Wars series aired in 03 two years before the release of this film which means like kids who watched cartoon network got the Clone Wars, in their entirety. The major battles, the high points, the heroes. But for the rest of us who, you know, were eight, nine years old and just had rural Kansas cable and parents who didn't watch cartoons, (laughs) we went episode two to episode three.
2: Yeah, they just kind of skipped through the meat of it, it felt like a little bit. I mean, they get to the important character stuff, I guess. But yeah, it feels like they kind of just push that all under the rugs, like, well, we'll we'll deal with this later.
1: I mean, you know, some of those criticisms I had kind of fell away once I realized that they had, in fact, explained some things that occur in Episode 3 two years prior, such as General Grievous.
2: What are you talking about?
1: I guess, you know, we'll, we'll knock out Mad Mike's initial thoughts. Did you ask for initial thoughts, Mad Mike? Uh... What are your guys' initial thoughts? (laughs) Oh, he has now. My initial thoughts is that I love that this movie immediately drops us into what is maybe the most epic space starfighter battle in the history of cinema.
3: Debatable, but I do agree that the first 30
1: minutes of this film are awesome. (laughs) It's
2: pretty good. And it looks really good, too, actually.
1: Right? You know, I I know we had the criticisms in episode two that it really wasn't that much of a jump. For episode one in terms of CGI, but right off the bat in this one, they're like, Look at what we can do now. (laughs) And it looks good.
3: It still looks good. I didn't have any issues with CGI, like, in this
2: one at all. I've noticed a couple things, but we'll get there eventually, I'm sure. Yoda looks kind of weird
1: in some scenes.
2: Yeah, and Dooku, of course, but, you know, that's because he's old.
1: Okay, you know, the Dooku flip is kind of weird. you mean the flip TV? He should just walk down the stairs.
2: <laughs> 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 or, like, the entirely CGI Dooku at some points. Like, <laughs> You know,
1: he's, like, almost 80 years old. He's over 80 at this point, isn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's old, I get it, but I'm just saying like, man, you can kind of tell <laughs> they don't linger on them too long, though. But yeah, I agree. I like how they should just throw you into it. You know, it's just like, oh, star fighting, Cool. Invading ships. Cool. Somebody's been kidnapped. All right. Just throw me in.
1: And I think what's really cool is that, you know, up until this point, we haven't seen a lot of the like, um, what's the word? I guess. It's, are they cruiser-class ships? Dan, you would know better than me on this. Capital ships? Capital ships. We haven't seen a lot of capital ships at this point in the film series, but then we see these clone capital ships, and they are, like, the same shape as the Imperial Star Destroyers we know from the original trilogy. Well, they were the precursors. They were, but, like, you know, episodes one and two, we don't see them, and then immediately, in the first ten seconds of this movie, it's like, wow, that shape looks awfully familiar. It, it's crazy to me that they In this one movie, you know, this noble republic, democracy loving army with all these cool dudes in white armor with paint and the capital ships goes to the, uh, you know, brutalism based design and aesthetic and feel of the original trilogy that's something i really
3: like about the prequels actually is you get to see all the progression of technology that leads up to the originals like i think we mentioned it last time the droid control ships have like the big ball that's going to be used for the death star and then in this one you've got the clone troopers ships they're like called the ark something i don't remember which are the precursors to x-wings and you've got the republic capital ships which are the precursors to the star destroyers and all that stuff it's really cool it's nice that it kind of like
0: builds into the older you know tech of the originals because you take a movie like prometheus which is supposed to be the uh prequel semi-prequel to the Alien stuff, and their tech is way better than what they have in Alien.
3: Yeah, it's cool, because you get to see all that. It's really exciting. It's just firing on all cylinders, and when you're watching it, you're like, ah, this is what I've been missing from uh, <laughs> Star Wars, <laughs> watching the other two movies. It's opening with the bang. And if you watch the um, 2D Clone Wars animated series, it literally ends right where this movie picks up. (laughs) It adds even more to the first
1: 30 minutes of this movie, which is nice. Right, which I feel like such an idiot because I've always known 2D Clone Wars as 3 Clone Wars. But it never really occurred to me that this movie came out in 05. So I was thinking about this, you know, I was watching the movie. We'd have this epic star battle scene and then we see General Grievous. And he's like this 80s sci-fi villain, you know, like like in like your Hunter from the Future, you know, like where this random space king tyrant knight shows up out of the blue. That's what General Grievous feels like, is like just some random crazy sci-fi villain. But he's not. He's had a whole series of buildup two years before this was released. And I think a lot of people missed that, including myself at the time. To be
2: fair, in the prequels, it feels like every villain has been like random sci-fi villain of the week, you know, like, oh, this time it's the devil with horns. Oh, this week. We've got a count who is starting a rebellion, and now we've got an evil robot who coughs and limps
1: around. I guess my point is is that they tried to address that with Grievous. I I, I would say for the mass audience, it failed ultimately, but I I am impressed, and I gotta give them some props for at least trying. You know, if you've seen the 2D, then you know the reason that he has the lightsaber collection. You know why he has the cough and he's hunched over. And why he's severely underpowered in the movie. Yeah, Exactly. Man, they, they did Grievous
3: dirty in this film. <laughs>
2: he starts off so cool, and then he just, yeah. Oh, there goes one arm. Oh, there goes another arm. Oh, there goes an arm. All right, I'm leaving. See ya. It's
3: like he can't <laughs> even fight when he's been trained by Count Dooku, and he's the leader of the entire droid army. And then you watch the 2D Clone Wars, and he literally takes on like a group of six Jedi, uh, four of which are masters, I believe. And he kicks their butts, like he kills all of them except for a couple.
2: I'm just gonna throw it out there, like, that doesn't necessarily surprise me, judging from this movie, because I feel like there's only like four or five good Jedis, and the rest are all just
1: terrible. (laughs) I mean, I think you've got a fair point, TV. They
2: all die so easy, except for like five of them.
1: After we've seen episode two, where a bunch of them just get like shot right away in the arena fight, it is odd that so many of them die so easily compared to like... Obi Wan, for example. They didn't see it coming. You got to remember
3: that the clones are all from a bounty hunter who's killed an actual Sith before. So they've got the ability in them and they have the tactics and have been trained on how to do it. I hadn't considered that.
1: Good point, Dan.
2: I mean, Yoda sees it coming, but the other pointy head Jedi Master just gets gunned down immediately. Like he he turns around, he blocks literally two bullets and then he's down. Do
1: you mean Key Addy mundi How dare you insult his memory? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's a scene in this movie where a Padawan puts up a better fight than the Jedi Master
1: does. Man, that little boy, right? Ray- on those clones yeah
2: this kid is putting up a better fight than the other one he did
1: ambush them though
2: too yeah but he's a jedi master and that's just a little kid that's like probably 12
3: remember too terry that yoda's got the best gift of clairvoyance right whereas everybody else has been muddled because of Palpatine. So it makes sense to me that Yoda would see it coming, whereas everybody else, it just takes them by surprise. Especially if you dive into the actual Clone Wars stuff, it makes more sense because most of these Jedi have been serving with these units of clones for a long time, and that's what makes the betrayal even worse and more surprising.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan. You know, I I don't want to spoil the, like, Clone Wars 3D series for anybody, but the uh, the clones have, like, a chip or something, right? Some kind of control mechanism in them that, like, forces them to respond to Order 66?
3: I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I watched the 3D one completely. I think it is that they have a chip, because not all of the clones go against the Jedi. Some of them help them out, some of them just let them run away. Um, but a vast majority of them do end up just taking them down when they get that
1: order.
2: Well, in this movie, Palpatine calls them in and tells them to do it. He call, literally calls them and says, Execute Order 66, and he takes a minute to think about it, and he goes, all right, yes, sir, or whatever. Like, They're making a choice, like, okay, we have to follow our orders here. I didn't get the vibe that they were like
1: getting all mind-controlled. That's fair, TV. I've always gone with that. It wasn't until recently that I was aware of the uh, the chip... I guess, thing in Clone Wars. Yeah, that
3: that's a newer addition to the canon, as opposed to them just
1: doing it because they get the direct order from the Chancellor. But the order in itself makes sense, I guess, if that's imprinted on you, you know, in their rapid aging and growing process.
2: I mean, it's not just the clones either, though, with the whole, like, I feel like the Jedi don't really put up a good fight. Like, When five of them go in to fight Palpatine, immediately all of them are killed except for Mace Windu. Like, really? They're all masters, too.
3: That is a weird moment. I can explain it, but it's not a good explanation. So the little, the scream that Palpatine does before he does his drill dive into the first one is supposed to be like a dark side stun power. And that's why he can take out the first two, because they're, like, stunned because of it. I wish they would have explained
2: that better. Maybe they could have, like, held their ears or something, like... Well, th- they didn't know, like, it, he
3: did it, and it's the first time any of them have fought a Sith in their entire lifetime. No,
2: I know, I'm just saying as a reaction, so that we can get any sort of vibe that that was the case. Like, I just thought that was a battle cry. Ah, uh, yeah.
3: No, it was a force power, but, I mean, you wouldn't know that unless you read the EU or are a super Star Wars nerd like me. It's a bad explanation just because they couldn't choreograph 4v1 <laughs>
1: in the live action. Well, I think Kit Fisto gets taken down pretty easily just from the lightsaber.
2: Yeah, Squidhead. I liked him from the second one for his like five second appearance. He was really cool looking. Man, He makes like the lamest scream when he dies too. He's like, Aah!
1: <laughs> That's fair. the books like the novelizations of these movies go a lot into like a lot more depth on like the lightsaber styles and i i do wish they were better articulated in the movie because they are there i feel like personally
2: this is the first time i noticed it yeah because obi-wan keeps doing that weird finger thing and then yeah Palpatine attacks, like, overhead attack first, and, like, I noticed it in this one.
3: And Mace Windu does it, too, because Windu uses Style 7, which um, not many people use because it utilizes emotion and anger to uh, make you fight stronger. Mace
1: is so much cooler in the books.
3: Obi-Wan uses Style 5, I believe, which is, like, the most defensive style that you can't get through, and he's a master of it, so...
1: Well, I love that he and Anakin, you know, seem to have a lot of the same moves, but as we go through that epic Mustafar fight, we slowly start to see Anakin, like, kind of getting more into the groove of that classic Vader one-handed, just brute force style we know him for. I didn't notice that part. He didn't
3: subscribe... I'll we'll say to a single style, he kind of had his own, but it still wasn't good enough to beat Obi Wan. Which I'll I'll say, I think the the Obi Wan Anakin fight is awesome in this. It's one of the best lightsaber duels I've seen in any of these films.
1: I would even say it's one of the best, like sword quote-unquote duels i've seen in a movie ever for as far as choreographing goes yeah it's awesome yeah i mean the cuts are impressively long for it and it's the actors
3: doing it there's not stunt doubles hayden christensen and ewan mcgregor actually learned all that stuff and did it themselves which makes it even
2: cooler (laughs) that is pretty cool yeah and it's like one of the few fights in the I feel like in this like prequel trilogy that feels like very like grounded almost because they don't they do a few flips and stuff, but for the most part, you know, they're just standing there and swiping at each other and there's not really a whole bunch of like showy stuff.
1: It's very much a battle of just raw power and emotion, you know. Yeah, they don't throw a lot of force stuff in there. I will say
3: that I always thought how obi-wan beat anakin was super lame though
2: yes it is super lame but
3: i noticed something this viewing that kind of justifies it it still could have been handled better i would have preferred obi-wan just get him regularly so anakin did that move on him previously And it was successful. When they were on the floating platforms, he jumps over them and then immediately starts attacking. So I was like, oh, that's why he decided to do it. He was going to try and do that again. He
1: also does a very similar one to initiate the fight. I think it's just the shock of (laughs) him being dispatched so brutally. You know, I mean, he's a Sith, you know, it's his own hubris. He gets it off twice and he's like, I can do as many flips as I want. It makes sense. I still think it would have been better.
2: Man, he should just jump to the right or the left. Like, (laughs) he didn't have to jump right next to him, yeah. Think
1: of all the memes we would have missed out on without it. Yeah, we got that line. I have the
2: high ground. Another, like, a little complaint I had. It wasn't, like, a major thing. But since they're both blue lightsabers, it was kind of, like, I guess confusing a little bit watching them both fight each other i kind of wish anakin would have had his red lightsaber by this point and was using that so at least there's a little contrast it wasn't just two of the same colors clashing and flashing and stuff i had a harder time keeping track
1: that's fair I, i think that's something that the uh the film has a hard time conveying is you know it has that line of we were brothers which you don't really get from the movie. No. But the books go into a lot more detail of like how close their bond is and how similar they are.
2: No, uh, all I heard in the second movie was about how Hobie Wan's holding me back and he's just jealous. And in the first one they don't talk hardly at all.
1: Like I this film doesn't do a good job of like really you you get a little bit of their relationship through some side humor, but I, I do think it does not do a great job of doing their bond justice at all.
2: Yeah, like you said, it was kind of emotional. I didn't really feel it that much. I mean, it was a cool fight, but I think they were really, like, backpedaling to, like, secure the fact that, oh, yeah, these guys are actually friends and they get along in this movie. They're really trying to, like, catch up on that relationship and where they could have been expanding it this whole time. But instead, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, these guys are actually, they get along and they're friends.
3: It feels like... All the criticisms from 1 and 2 finally like were listened to when they started making 3. Because, yeah, you've got a lot more character development between everybody in this one. Everybody's more well-defined for their um, mannerisms and stuff like that. Yeah, you get to see a little bit of what that relationship is between Anakin and Obi-Wan in this film. They could have been doing it longer like in episode two to build it up more, but at least they did hear the criticisms and they fixed it as best they could at this point anyways.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it might be even like as a criticism, it's more of a necessity. Like, we want these people to feel anything. We're going to actually have to establish some relationships and stuff. Like, I really like in this movie the relationship between Anakin and Palpatine. But man, why couldn't we have been getting this the whole trilogy? Like, it would have such a bigger impact if like, you know, when he's finally conflicted on which side he's going to choose. If like he'd been like befriending Palpatine, we'd seen him getting mentored this all three movies and you know, then we've seen him doing his Jedi stuff too, but instead it's like, Oh, here we go. Now let's just just throw this relationship in here as well. We gotta set this up because we forgot to do it in the last two. All the Palpatine stuff is some of the best scenes in this Yeah. Like it's great. I wanted way more of that stuff.
1: I feel like they made this movie under the assumption that most of the viewers caught the 03 Clone Wars cartoon. Because they just, they, they, they put in a lot of things that you're like, when did this happen? Like, when did Palpatine become such a mentor like this to Anakin? And it's there, it's just nobody caught it because it aired at night on Cartoon Network. And for five minute segments at a time. Yeah, exactly. It's it's
3: interesting because all of the story beats and ideas in this film are solid. They're the most solid out of anything in the prequel trilogy. And I actually like what they do with the story in this one a lot. It's just that they... They didn't do a good job of setting up this one with the prior two movies, so it doesn't work out as well as it should have. I think the testament to that is that all the EU material and the the two Clone Wars shows we got, they all build up this movie extremely well because all the ideas set forth in episode 3 are really good because they, they basically they screwed it all up with the first two but all the subsequent stuff leading up to it makes it stronger.
1: No, I think you're exactly right, Dan. And I, I guess it kind of comes back to this argument that TV's brought up to us a few times of just that, you know, can the, like, the the average person be expected to consume all of this material to appreciate this like to its fullest that it can be? Which I, I, I wonder if that makes it, you know, a lesser film or even franchise because it demands so much time to appreciate it to its fullest.
0: Nah, uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean... I know a lot of people who watch episode three without watching the O three Clone Wars and they like it just fine. The stuff is out there and if you wanna watch it, it's there and it's good and if you're a Star Wars fan you're gonna love it, but you don't necessarily need to see that to enjoy episode three to the fullest, I think, you know. It's still a great movie on its own compared to the first two prequels, compared to the new movies. Episode three is awesome. It's one of the my favorites because It's got all this cool stuff in there. It has all this world building that's in there as well that's really well done. And it takes a a dark turn, and it does it really well, and it's really emotional on how it does that. Like You can feel the emotional weight in Episode 3 when you don't feel that in Episode
1: 1, Episode 2 at all. You mentioned the world building, Mike, and I do love the world building of this movie. You know, I think about all the Star Wars films, you know, all of them have the heroes jumping around from planet to planet, you know, I mean, there's always four or five planets the main characters are going to. But in this one, I mean, we get the, you know, the big ones with the heroes, you know, Kashik and Coruscant, Mustafar, but then we also have these smaller scenes. I mean, the Grievous fight, I guess, is pretty big on Utapal, but there's still some bigger stuff. And then we have Felucia out there and Guido. There's all kinds of other things. I, I feel like that hospital at the end might be on Kessel, but I could be wrong on that. There is a ton of other planets and worlds in this movie that were expounded on so much. And I love this. This makes me happy to say I have no shame in this. In the Battlefront 2 game, I mean, you know, you're looking at that Guido scene where Ki-Adi-Mundi, as TV mentioned earlier, gets gunned down in the back by clone troopers. And you can see the, like, clones with the blue head paint. You can see the clones in the red outfits, like, that are the clone commanders. And I I love that they built on this world building I, even after the movie so much in a video game that was really just a shooter at its core.
2: Yeah, you were saying all those words, and I was like, I don't know what these mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, TV. <laughs> like I assume they're planets, but I was like, <laughs> I mean, when
0: we were kids, we were eating up everything Star Wars we could get. That was cool. And you brought up all these cool planets and world building. See, that's what's lacking from the new movies is because it's all just copy and paste what's already been done. Whereas in this movie, there's so much originality, there's so much creativity involved in it.
1: Like Mygeeto, what the hell is that planet? You know, we have Mustafar, lava, Felucia, jungles, Coruscant, urban, and then Mygeeto is this weird, like, hovering platform city over this ball of ice. And it doesn't even get any explanation at all.
2: I don't even know what this planet is you're talking about.
1: Was this in the movie? It's where the pinhead die got killed at TV. Kayati Mundi. But like, look at it, you know? Like, what you look at it and you're like...
2: Man, that was in there for like 10 seconds. I've
1: never seen anything <laughs> like that in my life, though. I mean, because it's hovering over a giant ball of ice in a blizzard. Man,
2: I don't... Are you sure we even see that in this movie? Like, Yeah! Yeah, yep. We see
1: it hovering over ice? Yeah. It's like such a split second scene though. But there's so much like detail and like assumption from like the city you see and like the kind of blizzardy planet underneath. I don't know. It's I-, I love it in the context of a sci-fi film universe. It's awesome in these ones because I mean like every character
0: in here pretty much, you know, even back characters, they have Wikipedia pages. And it's just there was so many small details. Are put into this movie that people could expand upon creatively, you know.
3: And that's one of the things that I love the prequels for, like you said. They set up the Star Wars universe at large. The original three didn't have to because it was a galactic empire, so you already knew what the world state was. And then the prequels had to go about and show, all right, since there's no empire, we've got to show how the world works and everything. That's something I always found fascinating, and it ties into how Darth Sidious ends up winning and forming the Galactic Empire, which is great.
2: Yeah, but this, these ones also, like, especially in the first two, it's all just like, hey, this is a bunch of fluff that the world does, but the characters lack so much depth in them. And like in this one, they're trying to backpedal and pick up on it, you know, like, okay, this we're going to make this a lot more personal because they have to, because they haven't built up these relationships hardly at all. But
1: it works. It works. Plus, they have the world building in it, too. I mean, episode two, you know, feels like the prequel to this, but episode one is just out there kind of in the blue as fluff. I think you're right. The only thing that carries over from that is the
3: Sidious stuff.
2: Like, I would argue I could watch this one and not need to watch any any of the other prequels and still be fine with everything they set up.
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, I would even argue TV that you could skip the prequels and start episode four and be fine forever. The only thing you miss out doing that is Sidious's rise, the power, and
2: how he gets there. But he does all that in this one. Like, we get all the information we really need in this one. You don't know how he got there, which would be the big question if it was
3: just four movies, right? They'd be like, how did this dude even get there? Whereas with episode one and two, you get to see... How he gets elected to be chancellor through manipulating the Trade Federation to attack Naboo. And then you get to see how he got the clones ordered so that way he could orchestrate the war to get him the emergency powers the take over and then not give them. And then when he's at the height of his power, take out the Jedi, which is really cool. I. I know a lot of people hate on the politics in these prequels, but I think that it's it's good storytelling and it's got good ideas. Yeah, it could have been executed better, but what we got, especially in this one, it's really cool, I think. I always did think that, and I didn't quite it get why people would always hate on that, especially like in this one, when you get the awesome action opening and the lightsaber duels and stuff too.
1: I think that both of you have good points. I I think TV, you are correct in some ways. And I think you, Dan, are also right. You know, the politics are cool, but I, I will concede that they feel like minor plot points to episodes one and two that culminate in three. But When, in fact, they probably should be the major plot points because (laughs) they're what the movies are supposed to be about.
2: (laughs) Like, who cares how they got there? You know, in episode four, five, and six, this is Darth Vader. How did he get there? We don't need to know this stuff. Like, it's just, okay, this is like, he's in the Senate. I get it. You know, he got elected and he's slowly, you know, manipulating the government. They they go into so much depth to explain everything when it's, we don't need to know all the answers necessarily. It's, they go too hard onto it. You may know actor Topher Grace
0: from that 70s show he played Eric he has a um, edited cut he did of episodes one two and three and he edited it down to 85 minutes and supposedly
2: it's really good people really enjoy it and I'm willing to bet that a majority of that is episode three
1: I will say one criticism I have of episode three is that it kind of feels like they try to shoehorn in some reasoning for episode one and two in the last few minutes of episode three right Whenever they've lost and they're going into hiding and Yoda out of the blue is like, wait, Master Kenobi, I must tell you of an old friend who's come back from the nether realm of the Force. Because apparently we didn't have Force ghosts up until this point, even though they are a huge part of the original trilogy.
2: Yeah, they were kind of like, oh, we have to cover this too. Like, he mentions it, I think, in episode two, something about it. But it's like, you think that would have come up. You think Qui-Gon would have stopped by to talk to Obi-Wan at some point.
1: I feel like it's really bad in episode three how they tried to address Force ghosts. And they're like, we had this whole first movie, just so you could know who Qui-Gon Jinn is, so we can pretend that he taught Yoda how to do it.
2: Yeah, why couldn't Yoda have just known how to do it all along? He is the wise master, you know? That is a weird
3: thing, I agree. They shouldn't have even... I mean, it's it's a cool character thing for Obi-Wan. They address it in the 3D Clone Wars, actually. And I don't remember. It's some convoluted thing... It's something that didn't need explained, like the Metachlorian thing, right? Yeah, I do agree with you, Terry, on some of the things that don't need explained. Like, Force ghosts don't need explained because it gets rid of the mystery. Same with the Metachlorian thing. Terrible, terrible idea to even try and explain something like that. But I know you brought up they didn't need to explain everything. But I think they kind of wrote themselves into a trap, right? They didn't need to explain Vader and Palpatine in the original trilogy. You do get enough to explain how they get to that point. But when they first started out doing the prequel trilogy, what is everybody expecting? all right,
2: we're expecting to see how these people got there. Yeah, but then they don't really do anything with it until the third movie, it feels like to me.
3: Yeah, I agree. They they don't focus on it. It's all background stuff. But it it is there, and it is cool, I think.
2: So what's the deal with Yoda running off after... I didn't really feel like he was losing that bad, and then he's just like, well, never mind, time to go. Like, it was a cool fight, but I feel like... Yoda did not feel like he was losing all that badly. And then suddenly he's like, I must go into exile because I've lost and will never have a chance again.
3: I think it's because he fell so far and like got seriously beat up on that
1: fall down. That's what I always thought. You know, yeah, I, I, I used to agree with you. TV as a kid. I was like, man, why is Yoda so beat up? Like, it's not that bad. But then watching it this time, Sidious is chucking those like hovering Senate booths at him like they're freaking softballs. And it's about all Yoda can do. Just get one of them and send it back. Like, he is outmatched against Sidious. I, I
2: disagree. He was doing pretty well against him. Like, in the beginning, he was... He doing was...
1: great at running away. <laughs> uh, no, well, Sidious is the one who runs away to begin with. Yoda has him beat. Yoda has him beat in terms of lightsaber. But force-wise, Sidious is, like, so far above Yoda in terms of his mastery of the force, it seems like. I I did use Triguhi though TV. For a long time I was always like, why did Yoda like get beat so hard? But I think it's an important beat though, because you know, we spend all this time being like, Anakin was the chosen one who destroyed the Jedi Order. But really, Anakin lost. And Kenobi like won that fight. And at the end of the day, it comes down to Yoda, who lost his fight that brought about the downfall of not only the Jedi, but also the Republic.
2: And that's true, but I guess then why wouldn't he uh like, okay, you beat Anakin, I guess me and you can go and kill Sidious now. Like, let's just work together to beat him.
1: I guess he feels like they're among the last two Jedi left, and they won't have enough power to regroup and then come at Sidious with his army of clones.
3: Yeah, it it's a trap because they have to explain how Yoda gets to Dagobah and why he's there. Right, that's why they did it ultimately. But if you wanted to justify it, I think Fox's point makes sense because if they went they both went against him and lost, then there'd be nobody to stop Vader and Sidious in the future, right?
2: Yeah. So they're just going to sit there until they get old, I guess, and
3: (laughs) (laughs) train somebody else, another Skywalker. It's it's interesting because a lot of this film could have been handled better which is the the running theme in the prequels, but it all still comes together really well in this one, where the other two, it doesn't.
2: Yeah, I, I just wish, you know, because so Palpatine in this movie, I love him. I think he's like one of the best actor in this movie specifically, but it feels like I don't get what they're trying to go for with the conflict with Anakin because, you know, he's his mentor and stuff. Because when I see him, he's blatantly going like, absolute power. Kill him. He's like such a blatantly evil guy. And Anakin's like, I don't know what I should do. And it's obviously you shouldn't follow him. He's like, I've got the secrets to life. And then Anakin's like, okay, fine, I'll join you. Then he goes, I know we can get there together. I don't know it yet, by the way. And it's like, really? (laughs) Come on. That's the Sith thing. If you would have told me that, I would have been like, no, you're going to tell me how to do it now and then we will do all the crazy jedi murdering like come on
1: anakin really doesn't like that the jedi council wants him to spy on palpatine
2: well he's there to spy for palpatine
1: he is but it makes him angry that you know palpatine was like i want you to go there and be on the council and i'm giving you an honor and then the council though is like "Mm, no we're not gonna give you an honor in fact we want you to engage you know in this scummy behavior and report back on the Chancellor. And we're not going to make you a master.
2: Right, because because potentially he's an evil Sith Lord, right? And then when he walks into the room and he's going, absolute power! And then he's, like, shooting lightning out of his hands, you know? Like, when he sees Mace Windu there, he should be like, okay, he was a bad guy the whole time.
1: I mean, at that point, he's already fallen. Well, not, not yet.
3: Anakin's very
0: conflicted. At this point,
3: yeah, he hasn't fallen yet. He's been promised that if he embraces the dark side of the force, because all he's known is the light side, Sidious promised him, which at this point he's a good friend of him. He's like, I can actually teach you how to save your wife from dying, but you've got to embrace the dark side to be able to do it. Anakin's very conflicted because of all the corruption going in the Jedi and in the Sith at this point, and he feels like he's being used by everybody, where all he wants to do is get enough power to save his wife from dying. Like you said, yeah, Mike, he's conflicted the entire movie because he's got all these forces pushing and pulling on him throughout the whole thing. He eventually decides that that goal is more important than everything else.
2: Yeah, but when his goal is to save it, Sidious goes, oh, I don't know it, but we'll learn it eventually. You know, like, (laughs) we can figure it out. I don't know how we'll do it, but we'll do it.
3: That's what makes it tragic, and that's a classic Sith move right
1: there.
2: He doesn't change his mind and go, oh, you were just BSing me the whole time.
1: Well, Anakin has that line in episode two where, like, he's like, someone should just tell the Senate what to do. And Bad May's like, who, you? And he's like, well, not me, somebody else. So when it comes down to it, you know, if the Senate's corrupt and the Jedi Order is corrupt, they can make it so one person tells the whole Senate what to do, but they can't make it to where one Jedi commands the whole Order.
2: The guy who keeps yelling absolute power might not be the best guy to choose, though.
0: You gotta look at it this way, too. Anakin's only had three good figures in his life after he got into the Jedi Obi-Wan, Palpatine, and Padme. And so when the Jedi Council, which Obi-Wan's part of, is like, hey, we're going to use you, the only person who's like standing behind him still are are, are people is Padme and Palpatine. So he's very conflicted with where he's going. It doesn't do a great job of showing that, but that's where his character's at mentally and emotionally in that scene.
3: I think it does a good job showing it. It's all a big buildup. Because you get that whole part where he goes to talk to Windu after he figures out that Palpatine is Darth Sidious, right? Then you have that long scene of him pacing and sitting in the the council chambers, and he's thinking about what he should do. And it flashes back to Padme looking at the Jedi Temple, and he's looking out to where she is. And I think that does an awesome job of representing his inner turmoil, especially with John Williams' musical score at that point. It's haunting, and it's like, this guy's got nothing else to lose, in his opinion. He's got no clue what he's going to do, and then he decides he's going to go to um, help. Mace Windu take down Sidious and sees that Windu's gonna kill his only other friend at that point, who's also promised him that he can save his wife. And Windu shouldn't have been killing him. Granted, I think Windu was justified at that point. The reason I
0: don't say it's very good is because it happens very quickly. One second he's like, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm gonna turn this into the Jedi. And then an hour later, he's killing kids in the Jedi Temple. Like, it's too quick of a change, but you know I realize it had to be like that to get it done in one movie, the way that it's going. It's just he doesn't have a very long, conflicted phase there.
1: It is kind of jammed in the last 45 minutes of the movie. They try and build it up a little bit in episode two,
3: which I think are some of the best scenes in episode two. And then in the supplemental materials, the Clone Wars, they build it up a lot there. So it makes his transition a little more believable. If you've seen all that, which, I mean, not everybody has seen it. Yeah, they had the time crunch there. But there's also the thing that Sidious was like, You've got to do this so that way you can get more powerful on the dark side, or else you're never going to get the power to save Padme, too. So at that point, he's like, I've got to, I've already started down this path. I might as well
1: finish it. You know, I feel like we're running up on time here, getting kind of narrow on it. But one thing I, I did want to touch on, right? So, like, I've always felt really bad for Hayden Christensen and the hate he's gotten. I got to say, though. Everything on Mustafar, I felt like the delivery of all of his lines, especially when he's arguing with Obi-Wan, are really bad. Like, when he and Obi-Wan are arguing on the landing pad there, he just sounds like he's, like, come back from like a five mile run and he's out of breath trying to yell at Obi-Wan. Like, I don't know, the delivery was really poor and I was like, oh crap. Like, maybe he's not that good.
2: I think he does improve though for sure from the second one, but yeah, I don't think he's like amazing either still. Well he's got better
3: dialogue to work with.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I I've I've always blamed the dialogue, but like, you know, Ewan McGregor has some bad dialogue, but he delivers it really powerfully and believably. And I feel like whenever Hayden Christensen tries to come off as like powerful and angry at the end of this movie, he just comes off as out of breath and whiny. (laughs) And I feel really bad because I don't think he has deserved so much harassment. But I mean, it was not good in my opinion. You know, it seems like actors, what sets like, you know, the Oscar winning guys apart is that they can be really emotional and enunciate at the same time and i kind of feel like he has to pick between being emotional and enunciating it doesn't help that episode 2 uh the first time you get to see that
3: him getting mad is him whining if that wasn't in there and the first time you see him getting mad is in like when he kills the the sand people and he's monologuing to Padme in episode two. And then when he's got his turn in here, I think it would work a lot better.
2: I mean, I don't know how you guys are going to react to this, but we were talking about the acting. And um, I'm going to just say, I don't think Sam Jackson's that great in these movies either. Oh, Sam Jackson, he's just not in his element, I feel like, in these movies.
1: I've read a few things on it, some like minor interviews, and it kind of sounds to me like Sam Jackson was like, I'm going to be me, as I always am. And George Lucas was like, but you're a Jedi and Jedi don't do that.
2: I feel like I'm waiting for him to just like let loose in his normal Sam Jackson style this whole time. But yeah, he just kind of like has this monotone delivery that just feels kind of jilted and unnatural.
1: Yeah, well, it's because he's playing a Jedi. (laughs) Like, you know, I feel like Sam Jackson gets very typecast and I would never have cast him as a Jedi Knight if it had been me.
2: (laughs) No, make him like a Pilot, or you know, make him even a villain would be kind of cool, like a
1: bounty hunter or
3: something. Yeah, ah, uh, he would have been a cool bounty hunter, he could have been Django Fett, that would have been
0: sick, even if he's not the best. He's pretty iconic as Mace Windu, though. His purple
2: lightsaber is awesome. Uh, I don't know who else would have done it. He's a, iconic because he's Sam Jackson, I feel like, and it's not because of his like performance in the movie. Well, I mean, nobody has a standout performance in this movie acting wise, except for Palpatine. I think Palpatine does a great job of being just like hammy evil.
1: I love when he's hanging off the side of the like Senate pulpit for dear life, getting cackles in between the grunts of exertion. That's <laughs> great.
2: I love it. My favorite moment with him is when he, um, when Anakin's standing there and it's him laying on the ground and Mace Windu there. and He goes, no, please, Anakin. He's trying to kill me. And then Two seconds later, he goes, no, no. And he's like <laughs> this evil, like, voice. And you're like, wow, you really didn't keep with that character for long, did you?
1: <laughs> I feel like they wrote that in a really specific way. And he was like, I'm going to act this exactly as you wrote it. Well, he, he was
3: waiting for Anakin to intervene so he could get him the turn. And that's why he, it was like that. He was just suppressing his power.
2: I mean, I, I like that he's trying to trick Anakin, but he doesn't hold up that like veil for very long. Like, he's still being threatened by a lightsaber when he switches back to evil dark side mode. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> at least act all innocent until Anakin kills Mace Windu. Like, come on. I love that. <laughs> he's just like, he, he's going all out on the evil performance. It's
3: interesting because it reminds me of like, movies we get nowadays like thor ragnarok or the new power rangers where the the villains stand out because they're just up there hamming it out and they're just having a good time it's similar the movies like that i feel like but it came out in 2005 i think we're
0: coming up on time here like fox said
3: has anybody got anything else
0: standing
1: out or let's jump in overall presentation i i I bet we could probably go for two or three more hours on this one (laughs) john williams battle of heroes
3: is awesome in (laughs) in this it calls back to the fight with obi-wan and qui-gon versus darth maul it calls back to the the force theme but it's twisted and dark because of Anakin's turn to the dark side plus it's got so much emotion you can feel in there between Obi-Wan and Anakin as they're fighting. Oh, it's so good. I love it.
2: Yeah, I felt like this one actually stood out a little bit more for me. Um, Like at the beginning where there's like the drums and stuff, it's just like solely drums. That doesn't like feel very John Williams to me, but like I feel like he kind of went out of the box a little bit for some of this stuff. Or like in the opera where there's just that low like choir, like oh like that was really cool, and it really added a lot to the the Darth Plagueis the Wise speech, which I already liked a lot because of Palpatine's performance. It's a lot
3: darker and more brutal and visceral. It, it's crazy. The music drives the tone so much in these films. All right. Well, I said let's jump into some
0: overall presentation then.
1: Yeah, let's go before we get stuck here forever. Has TV told you the story? Of the scale? It's
2: not a story the Jedi would tell you. <laughs> it all began with burn it. <laughs> then it proceeded to pass, then watch it, and then buy it. And it ends with unlimited
3: power! <laughs> yeah!
2: <laughs> yes. We kind of sum up our feelings, and then we try to average out our ratings into some sort of singular rating, I guess. We'll see how it goes, I suppose. I love episode three. I think that it's amazing.
0: It's always been one of my favorites um, out of the Star Wars series. And watching it again just made me kind of remember that. Remembered why I love Star Wars in the first, you know, 30 minutes of this movie. It's just the fun aerial battle and everything. And it brought back so much nostalgia just watching it. Episode three really gets a lot of the things right that he was trying to do in the first two. It's got Better character development. You can actually tell how conflicted Anakin is. The action is awesome. It takes the dark turn that was kind of missing and having that emotional weight from the first two. He just kind of gets it right with this one. It's not perfect, but it's really well done and I got to give it a buy it.
1: Yeah, I I think Mad Mike nailed it on the head there. You know, this one is the one that kind of reminded me like why I love Star Wars and how much I love Star Wars. I mean, the lightsaber fights, my God, and the music under them. But that's not to say that it doesn't have some other flaws that the prequels share. You know, we talked about it a lot in our last review. George cannot write romantic dialogue. I mean, if somebody had a gun to his head, I, I don't think he could right romantic dialogue. It just, it's equally as cringy to me in this one as it is in episode two. But that said, everything else, I mean, even if it is a little clunky or not well explained sometimes, this is sci-fi adventure at one of its high points, and it's a buy it for me. You know, If you're going to start Star Wars somewhere, if you don't want to buy all the films for your collection, this is the place to start.
2: Yeah, I think this is definitely the best of the prequels for sure. And I'd go as far as to say, I know I gave Attack of the Clones a watch it, but that was more for because it was so bad it was good at points. I think you could start with this one and be totally fine. I think this movie really does kind of feel like they tried to cram in all the stuff they wanted to do throughout the whole trilogy within one movie. We get a lot of interesting relationships between Palpatine and, and Anakin and like his, his conflicts between that and his loyalty to the Jedi. And I think if we would have had that the whole time, it would have had a lot bigger of a payoff for me. It feels like they just kind of rushed this a little bit because they knew they needed to get to the end here and we needed to make it feel like it paid off with character moments and stuff, which is good. I'm glad we got a lot more of that, but I think it could have been so much better. Although, you know, I think the acting has improved throughout this trilogy. It's been slowly getting better. Well, some people have been getting better. Hayden Christensen's a lot better in this one than the last one for sure. I think I'm going to give it a watch it. Uh, I think it's still not necessarily required viewing. I think it is a decent like action movie, but it does feel like it's a little rushed because they do need to fit so much stuff in there to make the payoff worth it.
3: Everything these guys said, I think, Two. um this is the height of the prequels for sure everything works in this one it's what they were trying to do all along but this is the first time that it all really comes together and makes a cohesive whole albeit it's rushed even for a two and a half hour movie almost and it's clunky at times but i always say the stories. In the prequels is solid. It's just the execution didn't really pay off until this one. I like episode three quite a bit. It's one that I've had, I think, the least amount of changing opinions on. Besides the original three, of course. It's always been consistent for me in doing what I want to see in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a buy it. No two separate ratings for me on this one this one's gonna be a buy it for me and if and everybody else should buy this one too oh yeah. so i think that
0: comes around to a buy it right yep i think so all right star wars episode three run the real certified as a buy it
2: only the sith deal in absolutes <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll forget about that line which is such an ironic line yep <laughs> All right, so I think next week is Solo,
3: right? Yeah.
2: I'm excited. It's the only Star Wars movie I haven't seen yet, so.
3: Yeah, same here. I've watched it. I'm not looking forward to it. A movie that should have never existed. We'll see. Well,
2: we'll see. We don't know if it shouldn't have existed until we watch it.
3: That's fair. Oh, I know, but you'll have to tune in next week to find out. I read on Reddit that nobody hates star wars more than
0: star
2: wars fans
3: it's true <laughs>
2: this is this is true star wars is a thing you guys like right <laughs> yeah <laughs> for hey, the most part me, me and
3: fox spent all episode one review defending that one from you so. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, we'll see if I,
2: if han solo can keep up the episode one um, so, anyways, I guess if any of you listeners out there want to get in contact with us, you can talk to us at runtherealpodcast at gmail.com um, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at runthereal. Hit us up. We want to know what you think about Star Wars. Do you like the prequels? Do you like episode three? Where do you stand? We want to know
1: do you love hate it like we do definitely hit us
2: up yeah we also want recommendations give us recommendations
1: we won't get to it for like seven more episodes but hey (laughs) go ahead and recommend we're kind of in a thing so you know (laughs) we're in a long-term commitment here (laughs) but
2: we'll be out of it soon well
0: we
3: have eight more movies to go
0: all right well thanks for listening to us tonight we really appreciate it this is run the real signing off We'll mm-hmm.